You're listening to the Life Tree Church Sermon of the Week. We pray that as you hear this word, you would be encouraged and inspired as you pursue Jesus in your everyday life. Reading today from the end of Mark, Mark chapter 16, verses 9 to 20. When Jesus rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had driven seven demons. She went and told those who'd been with him, who were mourning and weeping. When they heard that Jesus was alive and that she'd seen him, they didn't believe it. Afterward, Jesus appeared in a different form to two of them while they were walking in the country. These returned and reported it to the rest, but they did not believe it either. Later, Jesus appeared to the eleven as they were eating. He rebuked them for their lack of faith and their stubborn refusal to believe those who had seen him after he had risen. He said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands, and when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on the sick, and they will get well. After the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven, and he sat at the right hand of God. Then the disciples went out and preached everywhere. And the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied it. Hallelujah. Thank you, Carolyn. Well, good morning. Good to be together today. Um, How many of you have ever received in your life some information that kind of just changed everything for you? Anybody? You know, whether, that's a, uh, whether that is a diagnosis you weren't expecting, that's not such good news usually. Uh, but, uh, you know, I think back to when Telsey and I first found out that she was pregnant with our firstborn. Uh, kind of changed our life a little bit. Anybody know what I'm talking about as a parent? Just a bit, right? Just a little, little bit. No, it radically changes your life. And I remember, like, when... when it came to that point where Telsey's, you know, Telsey's late in that usual time of the month, and you start to get a little bit suspicious. Maybe something's going on, and then you take a pregnancy test, and, and it's verified, right? And when, when that pregnancy becomes verified by that pregnancy test, all of a sudden, your life changes. Like, like the baby's not there in your arms yet, but your life changes in that moment. And you guys know what I'm talking about, right? Like, and, and if you actually believe that that pregnancy test is telling you the truth, how many of you know you start to prepare? Like most, I don't think most people wait till like a week before the due date. You, usually, usually like that thing happens and maybe you take a few days to kind of settle into the idea and adjust to this new reality, but it is in short order you begin to start shopping for clothes, getting a crib, planning where this new human being is going to sleep in your house and on and on it goes, correct? And here's the deal, guys. Whether you believe or not, 
that that pregnancy test is telling you the truth. The baby's coming. And your belief or your doubt in that fact does not change its reality. The only thing that your belief or your doubt in that fact does is it actually affects the quality of your experience and that of the baby, might I add. And you're either prepared or you're not. And, of course, having a baby is life-changing, but today we are talking about some other information that is also extremely revolutionary. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. The resurrection of Jesus Christ has changed the world. It changes lives, and it changes the world. And I love in this scripture that Carolyn just read to us, Mark's kind of bottom line style. This gospel is the bottom line gospel. That's what I would call it. Any of you got any bottom line people in your life? You guys know what I'm talking about, right? Those people, those people who were like, I can think of a few for sure who were like, can you just shorten that text a little bit and just get to the point? You know, can you just, can you just tell me what the bottom line is? I've got things to do, you know, whatever, right? How many of you are bottom line people in the room? And so, so there's this, this, this kind of thing. We can see it in Mark's gospel. He just gets to the point. Because you see, what Carolyn just read to us, I'd, I'd like to point out to you, uh, Mark says in the first six verses of what she read to us, what Luke says in 44 verses. Like there's all this. Now, I, I really like Luke's account, actually. I'm, you know, I do want to get to the bottom line, but I like all the details. And, uh, and even like there's two verses within those first six that summarize what Luke said in 23 verses. So, so Mark's gospel is a bottom line gospel. And the bottom line of what Carolyn just read to us, I would summarize in one word. Believe. Believe. There, there is this repeated word. It comes up six times in what she read to us. The word believe. Believe what? Believe what? That Jesus died and rose from the dead. Sit. Believe that Jesus died and rose from the dead. Now, why do we need to believe that? Why is it important to believe that? I trust that a layered answer will, will unfold as we carry on here. I'll just leave it at that. But what I want to talk to you guys about today is the fact of the resurrection and the fruit of the resurrection. Okay? You with me? The fact and the? The fact and the fruit. There we go. So the fact of the resurrection, guys, when we talk about the resurrection, we are talking about a historic fact, something that happened, not just a nice idea. Thank you, whoever that was. Thank you. The gospel that Jesus says to his disciples, he says, you know, to go preach it, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. 
This gospel, this word means good news. It's good news. It is an announcement, a proclamation of good news, not good advice. Oftentimes we think of the the word of God and the the scriptures as advice for life, that you just got to get it and get your checklist and follow it. But actually, uh, more than good advice, it's just good news. It announces to us something that has happened, something that God has done for you. Not just tell you what you need to do for God. He doesn't need anything from you other than that you believe. And many, when we talk about this fact of the resurrection, will say, well, the burden of proof to prove this thing, that it's an actual fact, not just this nice story, you know, that burden of proof lies on the shoulders of believers. And I would say, yeah, true. But I would say there's also a burden of proof on those who don't believe. What I, was, what I mean by that is like no one who understands the historic and cultural context of the birth of the early church has ever come up with a plausible explanation for how the church started other than the fact of the resurrection of Jesus. I'm going to just read something to you, okay, because this, this just says it well. It's in a book from Tim Keller called The Reason of God. It's in my top five. I'd recommend you read it if you've never read it. But this is the common objection of modern people, okay, to the fact of the resurrection. People at that time, this is what, so this is what modern people often say to this claim that Jesus actually did raise from the dead, physically raised from the dead 2,000 years ago. The common objection would be this. People at that time did not have our scientific knowledge about the world. They were gullible and easily believed claims about magic and supernatural happenings. They could easily have fallen prey to reports of a risen Jesus because they believed that resurrections from the dead were possible. Jesus' followers were heartbroken when he was killed. Since they believed he was the Messiah, they may have begun to sense that he was still with them, guiding them, living on in their hearts and spirit. Over the decades, these feelings of Jesus living on spiritually developed into stories that he had been raised physically. The resurrection accounts in the four Gospels were devised to reinforce this belief. Now, now you would say probably that that objection, that theory, sounds pretty plausible to a modern mind. Would we agree? To us, to our modern contemporaries. But the only reason it sounds plausible to us is because we are ignorant of the historic and cultural context in which this event happened. We suffer from what C.S. Lewis calls chronological snobbery. We look back on people of, you know, ancient times and just kind of categorize them all as fools and idiots and gullible and all this kind of stuff, right? They're not as knowledgeable as me, right? Like, and um, so what I want to look at with you as we consider the fact of the resurrection this morning is some of the things that are in the accounts that we read in the gospel that would have been uh, quite wild, quite out of context, historically speaking, okay? And the first one, though, is maybe 
not one of those, but I'll say it anyways, is that first of all, we have accounts of an empty tomb. Stacy read that to us at the beginning of the service this morning, is this account of an empty tomb. But not only do we have accounts of an empty tomb, we have multiple accounts of witnesses who claim to have seen Jesus appear to them. If it was just appearances and no empty tomb, easy, hallucination. If it was just an empty tomb and no appearances, Easy, some, some, some prank, some sort of you know, scheme by people. But we've got this account of empty tomb where they saw him laid and appearances, and many of them. Now, this one might be really offensive to our modern day and age, but it is quite unlikely if you're making up this story that the first witnesses that you are going to say saw the risen Jesus were women. Do you know in that day and age that a woman's testimony was not considered evidence in a court case? It was a cultural moment where, where women were, were put way down here. And I'll note to you, it's actually the gospel of Jesus Christ that has played a big part in elevating women into another place in society. Praise God. Got a few amens coming out of the room on that one. But so, you know, if you were going to make up a story about your Messiah rising from the dead, you would be an absolute fool to say, yeah, and the first one who saw him was this woman. And he commissioned her to, to go tell everybody else. He just wouldn't do that. It's completely counterintuitive. Another one would be that the very first public written accounts of the resurrection of Jesus were written not in the Gospels. It's actually in 1 Corinthians 15 from Paul the Apostle, which this is believed to be written about 25 years after the resurrection of Jesus. And in that account, if you go to 1 Corinthians 15, you're going to hear Paul talk about these appearances of Jesus. And he actually starts to name people who Jesus appeared to. The reason he's naming them and the reason the Gospels name these different people is so that it's like, go talk to so-and-so. Go ask them about their story, their testimony. There's one claim that Paul writes 25 years after the resurrection of Jesus that he appeared to 500 people at once, many of whom are still alive today, is what he writes. Not, not today, just because. <laughs> and, and his point again is that there's all these witnesses who saw this, who were there, who all attest to the same thing. So is it a mass hallucination of 500 people? That's a, you know, you can think about that. But imagine 25 years ago here in Victoria. What are we? Let's just say two th the year 2000, okay, 23 years ago. And I came up here today and I said, 23 years ago? I was, you know, down in the inner harbor, and there was 500 of us at least there, and a UFO descended and hovered over the water and sent ripples, you know, all this sort of stuff, right? Do you think, like, if, if, if it was false, it'd be pretty easy to, to go, That's, that never happened. We all lived here, maybe not all of us, but some of us lived here, never heard of it, nothing, Right? No reports whatsoever. This was completely different. This was something that shook that 
moment in history, that area, that region. You know, there were, there's different stories you can read about where Jesus' resurrection is being talked about and the people talking, actually one of them is where they're talking to the risen Jesus in Luke 24. And they're like, do you live under a rock? You know, because they, did, they, didn't, they didn't know that they were actually talking to the risen Jesus. And they're like, how did you not hear about this? Right? And so here's Paul saying 25 years later, yeah, 500 people saw him at once. It's a bold claim to make something that never happened. The other thing about it, guys, that's, that's wild is we often think, well, those people kind of believed like in resurrection, that they just thought that sort of stuff was normal and could happen. That is not true. There was massive debate within the Jewish community on whether resurrection was even a thing or not. And, and even outside the Jewish community among the Greeks, they had a view that, I'm not going to unpack it all, but I'll just say Gnosticism, and many of you have heard me talk about this before, but it's the belief that the created world was this icky, dirty thing, and that, that death was actually liberation from this world, from this material world. So the idea that, that God would actually you know, be a man was crazy, but then the idea that like this great leader, this hero of your faith, would actually come back into a body, they just thought, that is stupid. What a dumb idea. And among the Jews, there was many who did believe in this idea of resurrection, but they believed it to happen in a time and an age when God is going to make all things new. They believe in this future where God is going to renew the earth and make all things new, get away with injustice, get, do away with sickness, do away with all that's broken in the world. And at that time, there would actually be a physical resurrection as well. But the idea that one person in the middle of history would raise from the dead, and they look around and they go, well, now the world still seems pretty broken, was a preposterous idea. You guys with me? And then we have this really unexplainable historic reality that seemingly you could say almost overnight in the world, mass numbers of people began to worship a man as divine, as God. Like, like not in the political sense that the Romans did for Caesar, but actually like people who thought it was blasphemous to claim that God would be a human began to worship this man Jesus as God. And the only really good explanation for it is that there were so many people with credible reports and people who were known in the community to be credible that, the, that it spread, that it caught on, that it was believable. And lastly, guys, the thing that really, for me, undoes the concept that it was just a big hoax that these 11 guys decided that they were going to pull off in the world is that 10 out of the 11 died for their faith. They died holding to this message and this truth that Jesus rose from the dead and he was the Messiah and he's the king of the universe and the savior of the world. And so to just simply hear the claim and chalk it up to this, you know, chronological snobbery thing like C.S. Lewis said, nah, that could never have happened, you know, it's not enough. This historic phenomenon of the birth of the Christian church 
No one's ever come up with a good explanation for it. You can read historians who, who are not even people of faith themselves talk about these radical ideas that changed a, a culture, turned the Roman Empire on its head. And honestly, the best explanation for it all is that a real resurrection happened. So I can't, you know, we can't go into a lab and run tests like that, okay? But if we're going to actually look at historic context, there's a strong burden of proof that Jesus Christ physically rose from the dead. Well, so what? What's the, what's the fruit of the resurrection? Why does it even matter? Well, in the same way you find out that you're pregnant, it changes everything. If you find out Jesus really rose from the dead, guys, it changes everything. And we're not going to unpack this today, okay? But the whole New Testament is basically an exploration of what does this mean. Don't worry, we're not going to read the whole New Testament this morning. So what's the fruit? What does it mean? How does it change things? Well, look at what Jesus says to his disciples. After, after he rebukes them for not believing, actually, let's just first know that. right? It says that, says that he appeared to Mary. She went and told them they didn't believe. He appeared to two of them in a different form. They went and reported it, and they didn't believe. And then Jesus comes into a meeting where the 11 are having a meal, and it says he rebukes them. For their lack of faith and their stubbornness to believe the reports of those who had seen him. He expected that his followers would believe these reports. He's looking at them. Like I'm sure he knew they wouldn't, right? But there's this sense that he is going like, guys, come on. And if you read it in the longer version that Luke writes that we talked about earlier, he kind of goes again and again, guys, the scriptures foretold this. It's here, it's there, it's there, right? And he unpacks that to them. And, and he's been talking about it throughout his ministry. And it actually says he rebukes them for their lack of faith. Gentle Jesus, right? And after that, after, he, after he's appeared and they see him, and, and John and Luke both tell us that he actually ate in front of them. And it's like... This isn't just a ghost, guys. I can see that food disappearing into this man, right? He says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. So I would say to you this, the fruit of this good news is that it changes the world. It's good news to the world. He says, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Fruit of the resurrection is it changes lives. He says, these signs will accompany those who believe. And he goes on this list of miraculous signs and wonders. And I'll say to you this, changed lives change other lives. And even the created world itself. Like, there's this very much strong sense in it that he says, go into all the world. That Greek word for world is the word cosmon, which essentially we get cosmos from, which is the created order. Go into that entire system and proclaim the good news. And it's so interesting. He says, to all creation. You know, most of these other accounts we hear about him telling him to send the message to people, but there's this sense in the way it's recorded here that the, that the command is actually to go into the world and not just change lives, but change the world. 
The, the, the life that is changed by the good news of the gospel actually has an impact on the world around it. So this fruit that happens of changed lives, it's really this thing about uh, forgiveness and salvation. I want to talk about that just for a minute, okay? You guys heard it mentioned when we were doing baptisms, but when we see Jesus dying on a cross, the Bible tells us this, that it's actually about our sin. We talked a lot about this last week, right? We all betray, we all deny, we all desert, like Judas and Peter and the other disciples. It was our sin for which he died. There was a debt to be paid for sin, and the debt was death. But when Jesus rises out of the grave, it's actually a picture, a declaration, paid in full. Paid in full. Enough suffering for the sin of the world. Taken on himself. And so, a Judas could be forgiven. A Peter could be forgiven. Deserting disciples could be forgiven. Sinners like you and me can be forgiven. And that's, that's the most important one for us to recognize, guys. Not just Judas, not just Peter, not just the disciples. You. Me. And yet, the cross and the resurrection of Jesus tell us that there's no sin too great in your life for his grace. There's nothing that you can throw at him in all of your failure and all of your mistakes at which he won't say, I still love you. I forgive you. Can you see what I did on the cross? Was that enough? I often think the brutality of the cross is so that there's really, hopefully, nothing that you can see in your own life that strikes you as, as, as too much for that. You with me? You know what I'm saying? His grace is greater than our sin, guys. There was a man in, in history who stands out to me as somebody who was impacted by this truth. And you've maybe heard of him. His name is William Wilberforce. Anybody know who this man was? So he's a, he's a British man, a parliamentarian in the UK in the 19th century, early 19th century, who <clears throat> met a man by the name of John Newton. You may know a song called Amazing Grace. Anybody ever heard about it? John Newton wrote Amazing Grace. John Newton wrote Amazing Grace because he was a slave trader, and in a storm, he cried out to God for mercy, and in this encounter that he had in his prayer, he was converted, and he began to see the wretchedness of this industry that he was in and what he was doing. And he became, a, a, he went from slave trader to staunch opposer to the slave trade, to become an abolitionist. And William Wilberforce, this rich, young, British man, meets John Newton, and it changes his life, and it, and it lights a fire in him to give his life for the abolition of slavery. And William Wilberforce is attributed more than any other person in British history as the catalytic force that ended the transatlantic slave trade. And he attributed it to encountering the grace and the mercy of Jesus on the cross for him. 
He went from being a wealthy young man to at the end of his life having very little finances to his name because he poured out his life and his resources to see the slave trade destroyed. He didn't hold on to it for himself. Sound like somebody that you know? This is the image of the cross. This is Jesus. Or then you have, you know, this fruit. I would say this. There's a fruit of eternal hope that we get from the resurrection. Jesus is often referred to as the firstborn from the dead. The first to rise. And his resurrection points to this hope of new creation and new life. And there were many in the early church, these Christians, in the first few centuries of the church. And one of the things that caused the onlooking world to be amazed with them was that when plagues came into a city and everybody left the city, the Christian church would stay and care for the sick, even at the cost of their own lives. They would die to care for the sick. They would get sick themselves to care for the sick. And you may look at that and go, wow, how virtuous. What wonderful people. I'm telling you, they were just walking out the, the hope they had, the eternal hope they had. They knew there was more to their life than clinging to it here and now. But that actually that there was a meaning and a purpose in them serving others that even death itself could not take from them. And that they would actually get to, to go from this age to that age with a life of meaning and purpose that was laid down for the good of others. Sound like anybody you know? And there's the fruit that Jesus talks about in this passage of even like these, these signs and wonders. You can see it all over his life where people get healed and people get delivered. And he says, these signs will follow those who believe. And there's this profound thing that happens that when a miracle happens, when a healing happens, or even when you get freed from anxiety and depression or the guilt of your sin, what you're actually experiencing and seeing in a moment like that is the age to come put on display in the present. Little breakings in of the kingdom to come. See, because God's practical. He's not just offered to us some private, personal spirituality. He actually cares about the created world. He actually cares about your body. He cares about the earth. He cares about that which he has made. And we see that displayed in signs and wonders, in miraculous, but also, guys, in the work of the church caring for the sick, these people that we talked about in the early church or whatever, right? On and on it goes. These signs have followed those who believe. That is not intended to be like some guilt trip if you've never seen somebody healed when you prayed for them or a miracle happen. But I can tell you these signs have followed those who believe. I look around this room and I know I'm looking at people and you can tell me of a time you saw somebody healed. If you saw something profound happen. I remember for myself in 2005, no, 2004, I had a back injury from when I was snowboarding when I was 16, and at this time I'm 22. And six years of constant back pain was healed in a moment as somebody spoke out a word of faith. And, and, as, and as spoken out, my back got healed. 
I remember a time of seeing a, a, a young girl covered in hives, breaking out with hives all over her body, and as we prayed for her, they disappeared. I, I've seen a man who was paralyzed for 30 years get up and walk as we spoke healing over his life. And I could go on and on stories, but I'm not going to. I'm just giving a few examples. I'm credible or I'm not. That's up to you. But I've seen this stuff. Actually, it's not up to you whether I'm credible or not. It's up to you whether you believe I am. But... And there's this profound statement at the end of the scripture that was read. It says that Jesus ascended to the throne, right? He's seated far above all of the mess of the world, and he rules over everything. And it says, from that place of seated on the throne, he was working with them, confirming his word through these signs. There's an opportunity as a people of faith to be partnered with the king of the universe to display his kingdom in the world today. And so as we close, guys, this is what I want to say to you, is that when you think of the death and resurrection of Jesus, I want to say to you, and I want you to realize the personal nature of this, is that the cross, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, it did not change God's mind toward you, it displayed it. Him dying on the cross didn't change his heart posture toward you into being now one of mercy as a result of it. It actually, through his death and resurrection, he was displaying his heart of mercy and grace. And he was showing the world what price and what suffering he's willing to pay and to go through out of love for you, out of taking upon himself the consequence of your sin. And in the gospel, in the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection, we see God's ability to take the greatest evil the world has ever known, the murder of the good, perfect Son of God, and use it for the greatest good the world has ever known. You with me on that? He transforms great evil into great good. That's the gospel. That's the good news. He can take your sinful life and make it a good life. But you have to Surrender it to him. The resurrection really it does change everything that you believe about Jesus, that is for sure. Because if you read his words, he's either a lunatic or he is who he said he is. And when he raises from the dead, he raises with authority as king. He, he had it before, but he displays that authority as king in his resurrection. Unlike anyone ever has or anyone else ever will. And as king, he says, you can't throw anything at me that will defeat me. You can't throw anything at him that's going to change how he feels about you. He loves you. God wins with any hand he's dealt. So if it's tragedy, if it's sickness, or even your greatest sin... He can come out on top and he can make your life beautiful. He says the eternal hope that we have in the face of any situation 
even your great guilt and shame. So the bottom line, Jesus died and rose from the dead. Believe it. I can't make you believe it, but I pray you believe it. And I say to you that if, if faith that Jesus rose from the dead, that he died for your sin and he rose from the dead to show his mercy, his forgiveness, his victory over sin and death, if you believe that, faith enters your heart today for that, watch how it will change your life and the way your life changes others as a result. And so the, the, the simple conclusion, guys, is from that place of believing he's the risen king. Surrender your life to him. Believe he wins. That's it. And end it there, bottom line. And I hand it over to Stacy. Thank you, Caleb. I really like how in verse 19 of Mark... Jesus is ascending, and then in verse 20, he has ascended, and he's still working with them. We're never alone. You've got a few ways that you can respond this morning as you celebrate Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. Maybe you need prayer in your life, so I want to invite you to come up if you want people to pray for you. That's an obedient way for us to partner with you and support you, because Jesus doesn't want to see you unwell. He loves to see his people raised up and healed as a testimony of his goodness and his strength in your body and in your life. So if you have things you'd like prayer for, for healing, come on up. If you have questions, I'd love to hear your questions. What are they? What's keeping you away from wanting to lean a little further into Jesus? Maybe there's someone who still wants to get baptized. That's why I'm not going fast right now, because there's still an opportunity here. If anybody wants to get baptized, there's still an opportunity to come up and get baptized. And maybe this is a day that you want to fully commit. This is a day where you'd like, okay, you get the mortgage. I'll give you everything I got. Be a beautiful way to celebrate a risen Jesus, totally giving him control of your life. Any of those opportunities for healing, talking about questions you have, for having him take control of your life, for getting baptized, just give you a moment to ponder that and let's pray. We're grateful, Lord. You're the center of it all. Thank you for the bottom line simplicity that the tomb was rolled away, the soldiers freaked out and fled. <laughs> Empty witnesses, you chose women. Everything's beautiful about how you crafted this uh, revelation and this witness and this testimony of your resurrection, Jesus. We give you praise for doing it in uh, a manner that we would have never understood. But now it's become so simple and so understandable. We pray that wherever each person's at today, that we would know you're near to us and you're worthy of our belief and trust. You deserve it all. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Life Tree Church Sermon of the Week. At Life Tree, we are a family all about declaring and displaying Jesus to transform lives and benefit our city. If you'd like to find out more about Lifetree, you can find us online at lifetree.ca.